thought about before, just because we're 2,000 years removed from it. So if it sounds a little bit weird, that's fine. I'd love to talk to you, talk to you more about it um, later today or this week. So Matthew 15, verse 21. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. And Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away, because she's crying out after us. And he replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered, Even worse than the first one. It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. From that moment, her daughter was healed. Skip down to 35. After commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took seven loaves and a fish, gave thanks, broke them. Gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they collected leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. Now there were 4,000 men who had eaten besides women and children. This is God's word and it's awesome. So um, let's get into it. Verse 21, when Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon and just then a Canaanite woman from that region came to him. So who is this lady and why is Jesus running into her? Okay, she's in the area of uh, Tyre and Sidon, which means uh, she's a Canaanite. Okay, so she's a one, she's a Gentile. And two, she's a specific type of Gentile that the Jewish people are not too fond of. Because if you remember in, in the Tanakh, who leads Israel into idolatry all the way through? The Canaanites, right? And veggie tails, they're the they're the peas up on the wall. Right? Keep walking, because you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking, because she isn't going to fall. And they're French. Why are they French? I, in Canaan, okay, I don't know. Okay, so the Canaanites, like not just a Gentile, not just separated from Israel, but a, a, a Canaanite. So it's strange, one that this French pea is approaching Jesus. But even stranger than that is that Jesus is anywhere near her at all. Okay, at this point in the story, all of the Jewish males are headed south um, to Jerusalem for Passover, but Jesus is headed north to, to Gentileville. Okay, so Jesus is not going the right way. And so I point this out to say what's happening here in this story, these offensive things we read, okay, what's happening in the story is happening on purpose. Okay, Jesus isn't randomly moseying through. Tyre and Sidon. He's doing it on on purpose. What unfolds in this interaction between the incarnate God of Israel and this pitiful Gentile woman is not a random event recorded in the life of Jesus, but is part of his purposeful plan in his first mission to Israel. So this is who she is. This is what Jesus is doing. And what does she want? Canaanite woman came. She kept crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Now, I'm, I think this is amazing. What the, the, if, you know, I, I think this is God's word and it's infallible and accurate. I think this is actually 
what she said. We have a Canaanite woman calling out to Jesus according to specific Jewish categories. Okay, she's she's not throwing it. It's not a modern worship song. Just random words I have. It's specific Jewish categories to to Jesus. So first she cries out on the basis of his mercy. Have mercy on me, which means she has at least some knowledge of, of the God of Israel's character that's revealed to uh, Moses on Sinai, right? Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And, and Exodus 34 happens. The Lord passed before him and the Lord says to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So she cries out, have mercy on the basis of who Israel's God has revealed himself to be. The Lord God, merciful and gracious. This is who he is. Second, she cries out on the basis of his lordship. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Yeah. From this family, not not Gucci or Kennedy or whatever. From from this family, the, the family of, of David, which means she has at least some knowledge that Jesus is the king of Israel, right? You, you don't go around saying son of David unless you're referring to this guy. He's the one promised in 2 Samuel 7 whose throne and whose kingdom will be established forever and will rule all the nations in righteousness from Jerusalem. This is who the son of David is and she's calling him that. Like she has some knowledge. And third, she cries out on the basis of his sovereignty over the gods of the other nations. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Okay, so whether she again, this this might be a stretch, whether she knows it or not, she's appealing to Israel's day of the Lord tradition where the Messiah, the son of David, the king of Israel finally ends demonic rebellion on the earth. Okay, that's one reason we say Maranatha, because there will be no more demons. Okay, Isaiah 24. This is the this is kind of the the big um, day of the Lord tradition that gets passed down. In that day, the Lord will punish the gods in the heavens and the proud rulers on the nations of the earth. They will be rounded up and put in prison and will finally be punished. And the glory of the moon will wane, the brightness of the sun will fade, for the Lord of heaven's armies will rule on Mount Zion. He will rule in great glory in Jerusalem in the sight of all the leaders of his people, okay? So it's the God of Israel, it's the Messiah that runs demons off the planet and she's clearly heard about Jesus' power over demons so far, right? Like we're in Matthew 15, like this thing's why I mean we're going to be in Matthew for like two more years, but <laughs> it's winding up. It's winding down. OK, like Jesus has exerted his authority and his power over demons time and time and time again. And she appeals to him on that basis. Now, whether she has Isaiah 24 in mind, I don't know. The disciples definitely do. So it's basically, hey, I've heard about you and I've heard about your God and how he deals with demons. Help my daughter. OK, son of David, have mercy on me, And so I just, right at the beginning of the story, I just think it's amazing to see this Gentile praying so specifically to the God um, of Israel. And, and again, we should apply that. And so how does Jesus respond to this desperate, though apparently theologically astute, Gentile woman? Okay, how, She comes to him crying out, pitiful and poor, and you'd think, alright Jesus, do the compassion thing that you're famous for. Nope. Verse 23, Jesus did not say a word to her. Okay. Which 
Never mind. I'll say it. Um, <laughs> sometimes my wife will say something to me, and I have men in general have a one-track mind, right? I can't think about two things at once. What are you saying? Okay, and so I'm processing the thing and don't respond. But it's not because I'm not didn't hear her. It's just thinking, what should I say to this? Okay, <laughs> that's not what Jesus is doing. Sorry, Jesus didn't. He didn't say a word to her though. She cries out, "You're you're the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of David. Have mercy on me. My daughter has a demon." And Jesus, nothing. And so his disciples, apparently perceiving Jesus' silence as annoyance, right? I mean, you've been there. Okay, approached him and urged him and said, send her away because she's crying out after us. Right. It's one of those deals like he doesn't want to deal with this. So let's get him moving kind of deal. But then Jesus breaks his silence and says, 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Like, ma'am, this is a bad deal, but I'm, I'm not here for you. Okay, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what on earth is happening here? I believe what. What's happening is Jesus is re-upping and reaffirming his mission to seek the fruits of repentance from Israel, right? This is what he's been doing since like, since the baptism, since his ministry begins with John in, in Matthew 3. He's calling out to the nation that God covenanted with to turn from rebellion and turn back to their God, right? And this is like the entire Bible, just different folks doing it. <laughs> Over and over and over and over. This is the prophet that Moses talked about. You need a prophet like Moses to turn the people back to their God. That's his mission. Like this is what he's doing in his first coming. It's God's program. Dispensations like, yeah, program. Okay. His program, his plan to, to bring the blessing to all the nations of the earth to have the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the water covers the sea will has been, will be, always will be to the Jew first. Okay, just how it is. This is how God has set things up. There's an order. There's a priority to how God's plans unfold. Okay, so jump back into the beginning due to more rebellion, right? Like Adam and Eve rebel, Genesis three. Then we got their children rebel. Then we have a big water event. Okay, (laughs) big water event. The flood and then and then Genesis 11, the nations are rebelling again at Babel. God scatters them in or there's not nations yet. God scatters them. Voila. Now we have nations into 70 nations. And then in Genesis 12, God calls out of those 70 one nation um, and makes a covenant with Abraham with this one to bless the other 69 math. Right. Okay, like this. This is the story. Genesis 12. Uh, Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Genesis 11, scatter, Genesis 12, okay? The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. We sang about it. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And he keeps talking, thank God. I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you... Your seed, your family will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, just the Jews will be blessed. In you, Abraham, in your seed, in your family, the other 69 nations, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we say it a lot, but just want to pound it into your head. Blessing contra the curse, right? Of death and sin and sadness and exile and the whole bit. And you, all the other families will be 
blessed with resurrection life forever. Okay, so it's blessing one for the sake of all. It's calling one for the sake of all. And so this pattern becomes the driving uh, uh, motivator of all the prophets. Okay, so you open up your Bible and you're reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. I mean, all of them. Okay, Moses, David. You're reading them. This is this is what's driving them. Okay, so they they put forward in their oracles this grand vision of uh, Israelocentric blessing of all the other nations, right? From the Jews, from Israel, from Jerusalem, from the temple, from David's throne to all the other nations of the earth. Okay, it's um, concentric circles of glory, right? Right here, you throw the rock in, and then goes out over over the whole earth. So we'll just read. Uh, One example from the prophets Isaiah um, 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord. What's the mountain? Jerusalem. What's the house of the Lord? The temple. Don't you've made my father's house a den of robbers. It shall be established as the highest of all the mountains. It, It shall be lifted up. Above the hills. So what happens when that city and and that people are glorified? What happens when that people, that city are walking in their calling that they've been called to walk in from Genesis 12? When that happens, all the nations shall flow to it, to the Lord's house and Lord's mountain. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. That he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the instruction, the Torah, the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge. Now we're doing the Messiah stuff. He shall judge between nations. He shall decide disputes between many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation. And they shall not learn war anymore. Maranatha. You know what I mean? Like this is the, 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 the driver of the prophets is they want to see the blessing of God to Israel go to all the nations. Okay. And so the pattern of the covenant is beautiful. You, like you don't read Isaiah 2 and, and not be moved. Like this is what they're after. The, the pattern of blessing is beautiful. Okay. And Jesus holds this thing firm, okay? He describes it. Matthew 19, Jesus said to them, his 12 Jewish disciples, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, right? When everything's made new, in the re-Genesis, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, David's throne, in Jerusalem, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging, ruling, leading the 12 tribes of Israel. Parentheses and assumedly the nations, right? From Israel to all the other nations of the earth. So it, it's a simple pattern. When Israel is walking in her calling according to the covenant, the nations will be blessed. Therefore, Jesus is seeking the fruits of repentance from Israel. Okay, it's just like a simple, you know, if, if mom and dad are headed out, they put Reagan in charge, and they want Reagan to behave correctly, so the other children behave correctly. If Reagan is being a turd, You know what I mean? It's the same thing. He wants Israel to repent and be blessed because he wants all the nations blessed. Okay, And the pattern doesn't change. 
even after the Jesus event, okay, after his life, death, resurrection, the whole bit, the pattern doesn't change. Paul, after the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and, and sending of the Spirit, Paul follows the same model, okay? So Paul is, is blinded at Acts 9, he gets his sight later in Acts 9. Where does he go to preach? To the synagogue, right? To the synagogue for the, for, to, to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins to the Jews. Acts 13, where does he go? To the synagogue to preach to his fellow Israelites. Later in Acts 13, he goes to the synagogue again, but he's run out by, by his kinsmen. And so says Acts 13, 46, it was necessary. It's right. Jesus said it's right. It's necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Who is you? Who's the gospel to first? The Jew. It was necessary. I, I, I'm, I'm not coming here because it's pragmatic. Like, you're closer, so I'll just go here. No, it's, it's right. I have a calling from God to preach to the Jew first. But since you reject it, not God has rejected you, since you reject it, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord commanded us. Then he quotes Isaiah 49, which is a passage about the glory of Jerusalem going out to all the nations of the earth. I have made you, Israel, a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Then, still in Acts 13, he goes to the Gentiles. What happens? They believe. Right? The ones appointed for eternal life. Acts 13, 48. Believe. The Gentiles believe. And so that's how Acts 13 ends. With, with the Jews of that synagogue rejecting Paul and Paul turning to the Gentiles. Okay? So like, yep, that's the story. God's rejected the Jewish people. Now he's just doing this Gentile thing. Right? That's how Acts 13 ends. Wrong. Just keep Acts 14. Okay? What's Paul do in Acts 14 verse 1? After he's just turned from them, gone to the Gentiles, right next 14 in Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual. Right? The pattern does not change. It won't ever change. This is how it is then. This is how it is now. This is how it will be in the future. God's pattern is to the Jew first for salvation. John 4.22, Jesus says, salvation is from the Jews. Don't you know? That calling didn't change with the Babylonian or the Assyrian exile. It didn't change with the life of Jesus or the death of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus or the ascension of Jesus or, or, or the Pentecost event. It didn't change with the life of Peter, Paul, James, and John. It didn't change with the destruction of the temple in 70. It didn't change with the exi- final total exile in 136. Forever and always, the gospel is to the Jew first for the nations. Not instead of... To the Jew, for the Greek, right? Paul cries out, Romans 9, they are the Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Messiah, who is God over all. Okay? Be praised forever. Amen. Right? There's a priority to this thing. There's a way God has chosen to work and it plays out positively and negatively. Okay? Like, and like just human history bears this out, but the scriptures obviously bear it out too. Romans 1.16, we all know, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And we stop there, right? <laughs> That's the one we put on Facebook. <laughs> but he keeps saying, first to the Jew. Also to the Greek, 
Right? So positively, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to the Jew and to the Greek. But also negatively, Romans 2, there will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil. First to the Jew, right? And also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. Okay, so do all that Old Old Testament stuff because this is to show this is the pattern that Jesus is working in Matthew 15. His mission follows the pattern of the covenant. Abraham and you, all the nations will be blessed. I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel for the nations of the earth. So he says, I was sent only to this, but then notice what she does. Okay, you Gentiles, notice what she does. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. She's already been like miffed once. And she comes and kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. And you you think that would be enough? You know, like you're reading this like surely Jesus at this point will stop insulting her. We have a kneeling, pleading woman with a demonized daughter. Surely this is enough to get Jesus to go off script, but he does not. He answered, verse 26, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She tells her it's not the pattern. The pattern is to Abraham's children first and then the nations, right? And for the nations. But what happens next is amazing. Okay, what happens next is phenomenal. The woman responds to Jesus kind of challenge here with faith. And in doing so, she cements herself into the hall of Gentile heroes in uh, in the book of Matthew, at least the Magi in Matthew two. Right. Gentiles come to worship Israel's God. The centurion in in Matthew eight puts his faith in Israel's Messiah. Also in Matthew eight, he he writes that many are going to come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Cornelius in Acts chapter nine, who welcomes God into the home. And then you guys. If you are repented and put your trust in Jesus, you're part of like the Gentile hall of faith. You're strangers to the covenant, yet you've come in. And that's just like I know like Christianity has been a thing for like 2000 years. So it's just whatever. But you it is so odd. Like if you would have told Paul in Tonkawa, Oklahoma, there'd be a little crew of, of Gentiles worshiping Israel's God. He would So he hadn't come back yet, you know, <laughs> that would be the big odd thing to him. But it's just like it's it's just weird. We're we're in like a, a Native American community full of white people worshiping Israel's God. OK. And so this is what she says and cementing herself in that hall of fame. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dog. And she says, I'll take the crumbs. That's good. This Gentile woman so convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. She's not put off by the remark. She knows that if he is who he says he is, that even the crumbs from his table are good and they are enough and they're satisfied. They'll fill me up. If he's the Messiah, his crumb, like I'll take them. 
I'll have all of them. And, and further, like, she's fully accepting of her place as a Gentile in God's story, right? She, she says, I, look, I know I, I'm not an Israelite. I know I'm part of Ephesians 2. I mean, Ephesians 2 hasn't been written, but... Okay, I know. I'm part of Ephesians 2. I'm a Gentile in the flesh, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Yet I believe in the God of Israel. Yet, yet I believe in the son of David. I believe that he is the one who will make good on the covenant promises to bless Abraham with enough bread and also bless all the nations. I know that. Like, so she's not offended at her place in the story. She's not offended at God's election of Israel as the older brother who will serve the younger brother. Okay, You guys read those, those eschatological passages in Isaiah. Israel is the servant of the nations. Right? You know why? Because Jesus, the, the, the ideal Israelite, is a servant to the nations. In Isaiah 25, you know who's pouring our drinks? Jesus. We're eating and drinking and, and being merry and, and singing, oh, we've waited for him, he's come, he's saved us. And Jesus is like, can I top you off? It's unreal. It's unreal. She knows that the crumbs from the master's table will fill her belly with more than enough. And when Jesus sees that faith from a Gentile, he responds. Every time he sees faith from a Gentile... He responds, Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Sweet, man. So here we get a little picture of how the pattern is meant to work. The head of Israel goes to the nations on purpose, right? Which was the calling. And the nations respond to Israel's God in faith. And then the nations are healed. Okay, And it's all the nations from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people that will respond to God in faith and will be healed. Like we're not singing nonsense songs on Sunday, guys. Every, every word we sang today will be true. Like it's just He's going to have his inheritance. Like it's, it's just going to happen. And you're a first fruit of it. Like this is going to happen when the nations respond to God in faith, they will be healed. And then Matthew puts a big exclamation point on this whole story. Verse 29, moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there and large crowds came to him. Remember what region he's in, okay? And including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. And they put them at his feet, just like she was at his feet. And he healed them. So the crowd was amazed. And who did this crowd give glory to? The God of Israel. It's, it's so cool. So Jesus called his disciples and said, hey, I have compassion on the crowd. They've stayed with me three days. They have nothing to eat. And I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise, they might collapse. On the way, verse 35, after commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, Jesus took seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his Jewish disciples, and his Jewish disciples gave them to this Gentile crowd. And you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. The crumbs from the master's table are, are enough. They all and, and look, they all ate, and they were satisfied, and then they collected leftover pieces. So we're talking about crumbs from the table, and then Jesus says, hey, more than crumbs, there's leftover. 
you know, like, I can't do a cartwheel, but if I could, I would. Right? Do you see what's happened? Matthew 14. Is that you? Is that you? Who did the bread? You did the early bread. You did the second bread. I'm doing the third bread. You guys know what next week's sermon's about? Bread. The bad kind, though. The leaven of the Pharisees. Beware. You know what I mean? Matthew 14, Jesus miraculously feeds five, over 5,000 in a region mostly populated by Jews. Matthew 15, Jesus miraculously feeds over 4,000 in a region mostly populated by Gentiles, right? And so Matthew sandwiches these stories together because the biblical writers are brilliant. Puts these stories together, the bread to the 5,000 Jews, the Gentile woman asking for crumbs, and the bread to 4,000 Gentiles to drive home the point that God has enough for everyone and it's more than crumbs. It's more than crumbs. Because you are a Gentile does not mean that God loves you less. You know what I mean? Like this, this is the pattern. And the bread from Jesus is the bread of life in the Messiah. There is enough bread for Jew and Gentile alike. And there's stuff left over. So you Gentiles go hand it out. You know what I mean? Like the, <laughs> the pattern does not change. God has chosen the Jews as the administrators of glory, and that should not offend us as Gentiles. Instead, we should rejoice in the wisdom of God. Okay? And and negatively, don't become arrogant at how human history is working right now with the Jews mostly in, in rebellion. Okay? End of Romans 11, he said, if you Gentiles perceive what's, what God is doing right now, Arrogantly, he will also snap you off too. No, we, we don't become arrogant. We rejoice in God's wisdom. Romans 10, for there is no distinction in regard to salvation, in regard to inheriting eternal life between Jew and Greek. Okay? Jews respond by, to, by faith in, in Jesus' work. Gentiles respond by faith in Jesus' work. This is how we inherit eternal life. There's no distinction there. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches, his bread, his life, his crumbs, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jew and Gentile, will be saved. We'll stop there. Robert, would you help us, please? Thank you. So just a couple um, things to close. First, if um, if you're not worshiping the God of Israel, if you haven't put your your hope for eternal life in Jesus, Israel's Messiah, if you if you're not believing in His cross as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and putting your hope for eternal life in Him. Do it. Okay? Do it. There, there's wrath uh, and, and, and fire for those who don't. Romans 2 that we read. But there's honor and glory for those who will. So that's first. If you're not repenting and believing in the God of Israel, do so. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me. Or if you're sitting next to a member of our church, they can tell you what it means to repent and put your trust in Jesus. And you might get a meal out of it. And, and the bread of life. 
okay? So that's first. If you, if you Repent. Turn to the Lord. Second, you who are, okay? Rejoice that this is how God has ordered things. Rejoice in the wisdom of God. And, and lastly, worship Israel's God. In Tonkawal. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your wisdom. Actually, I'm just going to read it. the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How untraceable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So God, we rejoice in your wisdom today. And we're uh, filled with gratitude today. God, that... uh, as, as the nations, God, we've received a first fruit of blessing. The good news about Israel's God, the good news about Jesus had reached our shores. And we had great, 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 great grandparents believe it and pass it on to their children. And we're grateful for it. And so I ask God that we would filled with gratitude that the gospel has come to us. And I ask God that that we would be filled with um, anguish. God, that that your people are still hardened. God, I ask that you would give us um, a heart like Paul that I would be cut off if they would believe. So God, we trust in, in your promises. God, we know how the story ends, God, with the Redeemer coming from Zion, banishing ungodliness from Jacob. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. But until that day, help us walk in humility. Help us walk not in arrogance, um, but in, in, in repentance, God. Enjoy it in, in what we have, what we've been given. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our elders to the front. Uh, if you want to pray, either in response to this today or any other thing, I encourage you to come and pray um, with an elder. If you're not praying with an elder, uh, pray in your seat.